Hey everyone, John and Travis here with another fantastic episode of Elbow Tight Podcast. John, how was that? Man, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think we could have talked a lot longer. Yeah. Um, it's such an interesting topic, and we hit so many different topics talking about, especially, you know, uh, women, self-defense, victims. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, today we have the founders and secretary of a nonprofit for women and human trafficking and sexual assault called A New Grip. These women are Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners. One is a cop, one is in cybersecurity, and then one is a black belt that it runs her own school and then does this also, and she's the president. Their names are Samantha, Holly, and Christina. Amazing ladies. I've been talking to them for a while, well, talking to Holly for a while on how to get them on the show because they all live in different areas and they all obviously have different time zones. And so it was a, it was a big, big uh, debacle to, to make sure that we had, had everyone. And not only that, our lives have been crazy lately too. So finally got it done and it was well worth the wait. And there's five of us on this episode. So sometimes we do talk over each other and there's so wasn't that bad though. It wasn't that bad. Just like I just talked over Travis. It's kind of like that. And then, and then we catch it. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I, I try to deliberately, well, we both try to deliberately ask a certain person a question and then go down the line. So you hear basically every question you hear three different uh, positions on the question and how they view things. So it's still relatively short. It's about an hour and a half. So if you guys can't listen to it all right now, I promise it's well worth the whole thing. They give what? What are some of the things we talk about, John? Well, you know, without giving it away too much, this was the first opportunity where we had some, I would say, subject matter experts. Yeah, in agreed. women, jujitsu, um, self defense. If you're attacked by some violent person on the street, you know, it's the first time we've had actual law enforcement yeah. where we could ask those questions and get opinions. And I really appreciated it. I think if you're, if you want some thoughts on that, this is the episode to listen to. We do ask some hard questions. There are some uncomfortable things talked about in the show. So if at any moment um, you want more guidance or you feel that you've been in one of these situations, please feel free to n- talk to them or, uh, let us know, and you know we can put you in contact with them. It's it's a great episode, and one thing that we cover that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough is one how how popular well, I don't want to say popular how prominent human trafficking is in the United States, and then two uh, women in jujitsu and how we kind of like we talked about in the, our early episode, but how do we get more women into jujitsu and you know, from their perspective, how can men be more welcoming too? So it's it's just a, a fantastic episode. We could have gone longer, but uh, it's, time, it's time getting zones. late. Yeah, different <laughs> time zones. One, I think they're th- three hours ahead yeah. in one part, so it's like almost 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> so, But hey, guys, make sure that you follow us all on Instagram, Facebook, everything like that. You follow them. All their links are going to be down in the description below. Donate to A New Grip for, through their website. You could buy swag. You could buy... Um, patches, all kinds of cool stuff for them to support them. They are a newer foundation, so they're still building and growing. So if you guys want to help them, there's they, they talk about how you can do that through their website and whatnot. So it's a great listen. I promise you will enjoy it. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully you guys have a good time. And let us know what you guys think about it. And, and if you want to have more guests like this, there's plenty of foundations out there where they help people through jujitsu. So... John, you got anything else? Nope. Enjoy the listen. 
Thank you guys so much. Oh, beverage of the day, John. What's the beverage of the day? Oh, man. We're slipping. We got Big Wave Golden Ale by Kona Brewing Company. It's really good. We're trying to lay off the IPAs, you know, yeah. dad bods and all. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. Also, we have patches. If you guys want a patch, hit me up on Instagram. I'll give you our P.O. Box number, or you can look in the description on the P.O. Box or of our Instagram. You guys can send us a patch. We will send you a patch. So I haven't said that in a while. You have it. So thank you guys so much for watching, listening at home. Hope you guys enjoy, and we'll talk to you later. Peace. Support for Elbows Tight is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped recently launched the Ultimate Men's Hygiene Bundle, the performance package. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code ETP20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. That's a lot of balls, Johnny. When Manscaped reached out to work with us, I instantly thought, yes, what a deal. I've been using Manscaped products for a while now, and when they mentioned helping out with the podcast, I, I thought it was a no-brainer. I have the Lawnmower 4.0 now, but I had the Lawnmower 3.0 and absolutely loved it. Also, most people think about Manscaped as tr- just trimmers, but really they have ball deodorant, ball toner, the weed whacker, which is your favorite thing, right, John? Yeah, I love the weed whacker. Look, I'm about to hit like 45 years old, so I got hair growing out of everywhere now. So it's coming out my ears. I'm like, man, where is that weed whacker? It's definitely my favorite. <laughs> Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ETP20 at Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code ETP20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools to get the job done with Manscaped. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. It's your host, Travis and John. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm glad it's Friday. I'm glad the work week is over. I know, and we got nice cold beers, beautiful rainy weather in the Pacific Northwest outside right now. I mean, it's like... Literally 300, year, 300 days a year, we have <laughs> horrible weather, so this is nothing new to us. But how's your day going, John? Uh, it's going pretty good, pretty good. You've been sick the last couple of days. I have, yeah. It's been wonderful. This is the best I've felt all week. We had a good COVID scare at work, you know. I'm sure everyone deals with that now, so a lot of us have to ROM. I did not catch COVID. After four tests at my house, they were all negative, so I'm good to be here. That's good, man. I'm glad you don't have COVID because I would, I would have to be wearing a mask right now. This would be kind of weird to do it. Yeah, kind of. My- <laughs> so today's a, a very special uh, interview. I've been looking forward to this. We have the a New Grip Foundation, ladies from a New Grip Foundation. I've been in talks with them for, I don't even know, probably since last year. Um, I don't know who I've been talking to. Who, who, who's been running the Instagram? Holly? Pleasure, Holly, to finally put a face to the, the messages. Um, but I've been talking with them for months now, trying to get trying to get an interview going. And there's three of you. You guys all live in like different time zones and all have careers, families, and everything like that. And same with us. So I'm super excited that we finally get to sit down and have a conversation and hear about your guys' foundation. So thank you so much for giving us your time. So thank all you right, for well, having us. No problem. <laughs> it's like, I know how it is. Right now, everybody's like, I don't know if I should talk or somebody else should talk. You know, I, I get it. Totally get it. Yeah, if you guys... It's going to be like that yeah, the right? whole time. Yeah, if you guys are just listening to this home and you don't see the YouTube video, uh, 
there are five of us on this interview, three guests, and then John and I. So, and with John and I combined, we equal one person. So that's you know, it's 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 a fun one. <laughs> and I'm like, and Travis has all your guys' name down pat. I'm like trying to read the screen. I'm like, what is he trying to do to me right now? <laughs> don't put me on blast. I don't have all your guys' name memorized right now. <laughs> so, but hey, let's go ahead and to get uh, get to know who you ladies are. If we could just go one by one and. Uh, who you are, how long you've been training, and then how you got into jiu-jitsu, please. Um, my name is Samantha Glenn. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders and president of A New Grip, and I'm currently a blue belt. I'm kind of a six-year blue belt. I uh, started the police academy, and that kind of slowed down my training, so I'm kind of accepting the fact that I'm going to be a forever blue belt, and that's totally okay. Um, I've been training about nine years, and I started training under Ezra Lennon at uh, Finney's MMA, and then I transferred to a different gym, and now I'm under Kirk Huff. I'm going to join you with the Forever Blue Belt, by the way, so don't, don't worry about that. But there's no rush. <laughs> it's no be- rush. It's for the long haul. <laughs> well, pleasure to meet you, Samantha. Thank you. Uh, my name is Christina Hauk. I'm also the co-founder um, and president of A New Grip as well. Um, I've been training jiu-jitsu for about 10 years now. I'm a black belt. I actually just got my black belt in November. So I'm very excited about that. Thank you so much. Um, I started training under Hene Nazare Ezevedo, who is a four-time world champion in jiu-jitsu. Um, and then I was able to take my passion and love for jiu-jitsu and um move over to Abu Dhabi and teach over there for four years at an all-girls school. Um, we won the title for, you know, uh, world champion jiu-jitsu in Abu Dhabi for three years in a row. Came back here, started my own gym um, in New York, and have recently, within the last year, uh, brought my gym down to nice. Pennsylvania. So Congratulations on the Black Belt, and that's a big feat. And, and uh, I, one day, hopefully, I can say that. John might be 20, 30 years, but I promise you'll get there, John. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) One day. (laughs) Uh, My name's Holly Medlin. I am a purple belt, but I train no-gi, so I don't have the whole I train under so-and-so story. Probably been training in mixed martial arts for the better part of 10 years, but um, I'll be forever purple belt. I have a neck injury, so I don't get the privilege of training much anymore. So I just do CrossFit instead, which doesn't sound like a smart trade-off, but oh, that's that's. I got it. It's do the opposite for us. We started off in CrossFit. CrossFit and then switched to jujitsu. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was <laughs> nice. in great shape when I started jujitsu, and it meant absolutely nothing. You know, it's like the first five minute roll. I thought I was going to literally die. I was like, it was to the point where I think I looked at John. I was like, if this were to happen in real life, I would die. Like literally, yeah. I would die. Just it's incredible. <laughs> and everyone in our school were white belts. You, you know what I mean? And I just I had no idea what I was doing. And yeah. then you know the short term of. A little bit of training, then I started to realize, like, wow, this is this stuff is really powerful. And the nice thing about you being a purple belt is you always get to skip warm ups. That's you know, true. Like- <laughs> That's true. That's nice. That's a thing. I didn't know that. I didn't. Get I that wear a purple privilege. belt on the way to school just so I can skip the warm up. Then I put my blue belt back on when I get into class. You know. Perpetrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In trouble for that. Hopefully, my professor doesn't hear that. No. No, he's not listening. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be on yeah, a shark right? drill yeah. immediately. So what got you ladies in into training? Uh, Holly, how, what got you started with it? Um, so I started at a 
martial arts school just doing kickboxing and then I started doing karate and through getting my black belt in karate we did some groundwork and so I asked my professor about it and he was like oh that's technically jujitsu and I was like well this is um fucking awesome so I want to hurt people more and so I started doing jujitsu and it stuck with it it had you caught the bug and wanted to go yeah all the way so when I wasn't getting punched in the face and sparring, I was just getting twisted <laughs> in the pretzel nuts. So it's great. It's, uh, I, there's this shirt out there that says, like, talk to me about murder yoga. And I was like, that's so true. It's like, it's the gentle art of folding people while they're still in clothes. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we call it uh, unwilling yoga. Well, you know, cool. it's funny, too. You said you've been doing MMA for, what, 10 years or longer than 10 years? We have a friend that has been doing Nogi MMA for probably 10, 15 years, and he just switched over to traditional jiu-jitsu, and they put a white belt on him. Let me tell you, he went in and cleaned out everyone at his school. Then he went into, like, some, uh, some uh, what is it, round-robin tournaments? Yeah, yeah. Smoked everyone. I think within, like, two months, they put a blue belt on him. Now he's wearing a purple belt. Yeah. This is all within, like, eight months. So it, it was yeah. pretty pretty cool to see. Well, and, and to, like, put in more con- – he also has a black belt in judo, though. Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. You know, there is a little bit of experience there. But jiu-jitsu is, like, a completely different yeah. animal sometimes, well, a lot mm-hmm. of the times. So what about the other ladies? Uh, how are you guys getting to jiu-jitsu? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I started jujitsu actually with MMA training. So I wanted to try out cage fighting. I grew up watching like Misha Tate and I just fell in love with just the, um, the strength and the power that women had and the symbol that I felt like women's MMA had brought. So I went to the gym, um, signed up for MMA and then actually fell in love with the ground game. So um, I had one MMA fight been doing jujitsu ever since i just absolutely love it i i I applaud people that want to do mma and get punched in the face for fun i've done it a couple times getting punched in the face not like (laughs) mma and i don't think it's fun like i (laughs) i applaud people that want to do that it's it's not for me personally uh well you remember me in san diego trying out that uh oh krav maga yeah that was the only thing open everything else was closed for covid so i was like i'll give it a try yeah that that was rough (laughs) I know. I hear a lot of people make fun of it, but I went and tried it, and I was like, "Yeah, that was some rough stuff." Yeah, yeah, it's no joke. And once again, it realized like if if I was taken to the ground and someone was punching me in the face, it's a completely different story than I'm going to Baron Bolo fifteen times to a back take to you know what I mean? Like that's that's not going to work a whole lot of times. Mm-hmm. So, but Samantha, how how'd you get into it? Um, so when I was going to school for my criminology degree, I wanted to be in the FBI, and one of my favorite teachers told me well, you gotta be, like, a really good accountant or you gotta be really fucking smart. And I'm like, well, I'm street smart, but I'm not book smart, so that's not gonna get me into the FBI. He's like, well, you could also do jujitsu or something cool like that and have a really good self-defense background, and that could possibly get you there. So the next day was my 21st birthday, and I went and signed up at a a local jujitsu gym, and then I got bit by the bug, and the rest is history. There you go. So how how did you guys all meet and collaborate together for the first time? Because it's super interesting that you guys are from all different walks of life and from around the country, and you you collaborated to make this amazing foundation. How did that first start off? So I actually have family that's in Missouri where Samantha lives, and I spent a summer in 2014 down there, and I happened to 
train during my vacation time at Samantha's gym. Um, and we became acquaintances, Facebook friends, so on and so forth, and just kind of stayed in touch through social media. Um, and then during COVID, uh, we were both kind of um, posting about human trafficking and you know, just making it more aware of, you know, the different things that are happening. Um, so I had reached out to her and I was like, hey, we have this interest. And she was like, well, let's combine jujitsu and human trafficking. Um, and so we kind of just within a month came up with this idea, um, brought the community together to ask about like names. And then our baby was born. Um, and then Holly kind of fell from the heavens to us. Um, I actually I believe I actually met her. Holly's yes. husband in the police academy. Um, <laughs> Holly's husband was a Creve Corps police officer while I'm a St. Louis County police officer. And we had a training together, pressure point and control tactics. And I was talking to him about jujitsu. He's like, oh, my wife does jujitsu. And I kind of messaged her, reached out to her. She wanted to get involved. And like Christina said, fell from the heavens because Holly is the backbone for us. Like, we say jump. She asks how high. She is everything for this nonprofit. She's our secretary and a godsend. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. <laughs> She's like, tell me more. Oh God, stop. Thank you so, so that, much. That's, good. <laughs> that's cool. But like, uh, what was the, the inception, those beginning like months or years or whatever? Uh, well, it'd be months, right? Because it started during COVID. What was that inception first like? Like, were you guys brainstorming? And what were some other ideas that you had before you actually came up with like this? Um, so we knew that we wanted to help trafficking survivors. At first, we didn't really know how. We knew we wanted to incorporate jujitsu, but we didn't know how to get to that point because a lot of social workers and people working within other nonprofits aren't very receptive to hearing that we want to teach trauma survivors a martial art because you would think that that would cause more trauma. Um, but it's actually been proven that martial arts can actually help a trauma survivor when there's uh, trauma. So in the beginnings, it was there was a lot of push and shove and trying to find other nonprofits that would actually work with us. So we don't actually have our own facility. We go to other nonprofits that actually house survivors and work with the survivors there. So it was a lot of push and shove in the beginning and trying to get people to be receptive of our idea. Was it hard to get people to, to try it at the beginning? I mean, was it at one or two? Were we able to get like a good group right off the back or did it take a little convincing? So the way that we kind of brought it up is we went to the administration of the nonprofits first and then wanted to kind of introduce ourselves. Um, so the nonprofit that I work with here is North Star Initiative. And the way that we kind of had it set up is I spent a day over there. Um, I saw the facility. I saw the survivors. I met with them. We went through kind of the uh, trauma-informed training that we would give to them, PowerPoints, gave them all the information they could ever wanted asked for our contact information for follow-up questions and um i was very lucky to have a large amount of survivors that were very interested um into trying the program they wanted you know they have all different kinds of therapeutic classes and programs available for these survivors that this was something that they had never done before um and it was very active and it was something just out of the realm that they were very interested in trying so is there like a, 
I guess, warming up period when these people first come to you after these horrible situations. Is it, do you guys see like a kind of a, I, w- I won't say resentment, but it's kind of hard for them to break free of these positions that we do get in, into jujitsu and, and warm up to it. How long does that typically take for someone to be okay with, you know, someone in mount when they've been in such yeah, a it's bad situation? Intimate, you yeah, know. you know, like it's a very intimate thing, right? And I, I can only imagine mm-hmm. that someone that's gone through some of these things and it, it, it does it happen right away or do you guys have like classroom and then you're kind of like, okay, so we're going to ease into it and try different things first. So we actually have an introduction to jiu-jitsu program that we put the survivors through first, and it's a three-day program. Day one, we do a PowerPoint. We try to keep it short um, because people don't want to sit through a death by PowerPoint, but kind of the history of jiu-jitsu, why we're doing this, why we think jiu-jitsu can help, and then... Uh, that first day we show them some light stuff like I'm going to put my arm here and grab this grip or uh, just some light exercise. Day two is when we really go hands on and I don't know how Christina runs it in PA, but uh, this last class that we had here in St. Louis, we uh, taught a takedown, a leg sweep. And uh, from the takedown, we went into side control and then taught them another with this last group, day one, we had a survivor who was not She was totally off-put by the idea of doing an armbar, didn't want to do it. Um, but when we went into side control, she was all about side control, and she was getting chest-to-chest, wasn't scared of it. So I think it's a... I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all for a survivor. I think it depends on the survivor's trauma that they've been through, the level of trauma, and uh, their comfortability level. And that's, like, the great thing about our program is is if you don't want to do it, we can teach you something else. There's a million things we can teach you, and it's not just one-size-fits-all for each person. So that has to be very rewarding, especially when you see one of these survivors light up when they find that you know, something that they actually enjoy and they're like, they can start growing again in like another personal way. That must be pretty satisfying for you ladies when that starts to happen. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Holly, you want to go ahead Mm -hmm. and elaborate on that? And I would say for sure. Um, we we're constantly adapting the program and how we approach the survivors. I mean, the first time that Sam and I went to the safe house to work with some young ladies, we were terrified because we thought they were going to hate it. So we started off really slow and we were like, well, we'll just put the clothespins on their clothes and have them play the game where they just try to grab the clips because we didn't know how much of an appetite they would have for just like doing something. So, and at the time we had a little less of mat space. We were like using a used wrestling mat. Um, so there wasn't a lot of room. We had somebody donate some really nice uh, jiu-jitsu mats for us now for the survivors. So now when we meet with them, um, we teach them about fighter stance and um, break falls and why they're important and um, how it kind of helps you build trust with your own body. Um, we do some light stretching and then we do shrimp drills and we kind of understand why those are important. Um, and a lot of the girls, there seems to be like two categories when it comes to just doing the break fall, cause they're like, Oh, is this going to hurt? And some of them are like, we're not into that. We need to be basically almost sitting on the ground to practice a break fall. And then there's some girls that are like, we're going to fucking send it and they will just fall and slap the mats as hard as possible. And then some of the girls, you really have to encourage them and cheer them on to hit the mats as hard as possible. Take out your aggression, be loud. It's totally cool. Um, 
But yeah, they get that spark just from doing that. And it just, their excitement grows when you show them, okay, we're going to do this technique. This is what it looks like. These are the expectations. It might hurt a little bit because you're not used to falling. And, but once they actually have success doing it, they light up completely. So far, we've only really had a survivor kind of question one of the positions that we were asking them to be in, which was for the arm bar. So we just modified to Americana, and she was totally fine with that. So we always give them room to speak up about how they feel. So if they don't like something, we're like, okay, cool, moving on. So what? how often do you guys take on new survivors, and how long is your guys' course before... Or do you continuously work with these survivors for long periods? That's like, what I was curious too. If like it, can they stick with it? Like, uh, do they end up becoming like a permanent part of your program, and maybe they help later on, or anything like that happen? So they're a part of our program for as long as mm. they're in the safe house, um, or at least that's how it is. The way that I run it. <laughs> um, um, as far as new survivors, um, I allow the survivors to come if I'm doing a class and they weren't there previously I let them jump right in because you can just modify um and being that the classes are so small and intimate it's very easy to kind of adjust the positioning based on the amount of people that you have in the class and because they have no recollection recollection or recollection or know what jujitsu is um you can change the program that you have assigned for that day um because everything's brand new to them so we do have a graduation period, like what Samantha was saying before, after the three classes, we typically graduate them. And that's when they'll get like a certificate as well as a brand new gi, kind of like a nice. brand new fresh start. And then they'll go into what we call as like the continuing education program. Um, eventually our plan is if they leave the safe house, we would love to be able to actually sponsor them as, it is, as if they're like our athlete and pay for a year of their training at a gym that either they choose or they trust us to find for them, as well as the gear that they're going to need to be able to continue that that journey. So, Samantha, do you, when you are on duty in police work, do you find survivors and then you kind of, you're like, hey, by the way, I've run this nonprofit, or do you find that kind of like a conflict of interest when when you're on duty and you want to help people? Like, do you ever throw it out there while you're working? Um, I don't because I don't typically come across trafficking survivors. Um, while St. Louis is a hub city in particular is a hub and I'm just outside the St. Louis city. Um, and most of the time when I'm coming across any type of like sexual assault case or anything like that, I'm referring them to our uh, Bureau of Special Investigation Detectives. Um, I give them resources, uh, but typically we're working with nonprofits that already have survivors housed there. That way we they can sign paperwork and have the administration of that house sign the paperwork stating that we're not going to get sued, obviously, if someone gets hurt and... Um, we actually do it at the house with them. That way we're in their, their environment. We're not just at some random gym because some of the people that we're working with at crisis aid, um, people are actively looking for these individuals. So they have to stay safe and their safe house location is a very disclosed location. And, uh, for their safety, we like to go to them. So yeah, kind of like what you said, conflict of interest. I don't want to 
make any situation unsafe for any survivor out there. I do promote my nonprofit uh, within police work in general. And I tell people about it like, hey, if you know of anyone in any houses or any situations that would like to reach out to us, here's our card or anything like that. So, Very interesting. Uh, Christina, so when you do your classes and you put that black belt on in front of them now, how, what is their reaction? Does it, do you show them like, Hey, look, like you're a woman, I'm a woman. You can achieve this by, if you just put your mind to it, like, trust me, I've been doing it for a while. Like, does it show extra inspiration to these women when you, when you know, you gee up and you're ready to go? Um, I think it does to a certain point because jujitsu is so new to them. They don't understand. I don't think like the levels at that point when we first um, introduce it to them. Um, and a belt to me is just to tie my gi, but to be able to kind of come onto the mat and have a different colored belt than them. I think that in their minds is like, Oh, that's really cool. I want to be able to kind of achieve that. Or then they start to ask questions. And once they, get into the program and they learn the art itself a lot more then they start to understand the work and the dedication and um everything that comes along with the belts and the journeys as you continue through jujitsu do you ever have people come to your school afterwards and continue training when when uh they graduate from your program um so far no the um house that i work Mm. with is about two hours away from where i actually live so i travel um whenever i go i travel there um to be able to see, see the survivors. But, um, eventually that would be really cool if they were ever, you know, if they were ever relocated to an area close to me, I would a hundred percent. Yeah. That would be amazing to see someone come in. You're like, you always have like this special connection with them. And I'm sure Samantha Hall, you can attest to it. If you were to work Mm -hmm. with these people outside of the program too, it'd have that really special connection that you're like, I know what you've been through. I'm trying to still help you and everything like that. Like I could only imagine, uh, I mean, we get to talk to people from that we've looked up to from jujitsu with the podcast, obviously, and just talking to these people and they have like no real impact on our life outside of like, we like their knowledge and talking to them is like, it's a, it's a cool connection with us. So I can only imagine how deep you guys get with these people and, and how inspirational it can be for them, you know? Do you guys um does this is this just um trafficking or do you have like um DV victims in there as well or because I was I was curious so about sexual that sexual exploitation sexual assaults uh, human trafficking any type of sex crime basically yeah and most DV victims have experienced that especially in intimate partners so uh, years ago um i was an animal control officer and i went out for um some dogs attacking some people in a city out here and the, it, the attack happened right outside of one of those safe houses you're talking about but it was for domestic violence victims and i went around trying to get statements nobody would give me a name nobody that was in that was in that house so i could see why it would be extremely uh, secretive and nobody would want to know who's there do, have you ever had any mm-hmm. problems with, I mean, has anyone ever really tried to find them when you go there? I mean, have you noticed anything like that? Um, with the, the survivors that I work with, we always have to ask, like, if we can take photos just for ourselves and stuff like that. And we have a couple of very specific people that are not allowed on social media, around social media. I couldn't even give them my business card for them to be able to reach out to ask questions. Um, I think it just depends on the situation, the scenario, and how fresh or new they are to the um, the house and what situation they're coming out of when they get there. 
that's why I was wondering if you could really even reach out to the students, you know, after the three days, if, if you even had a means to like really hunt them down and, and get in contact with them if you needed to. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great segue, Holly. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how does that play into like your day to day operation when you're like running like social media and whatnot? Because Christina kind of alluded to it. Sometimes you can't post yeah, success right, yeah. stories. You know what I mean? That's, I think you're trying to get to that. Yeah, point. Like, like, how do you kind of promote this when when it is so it does secretive? Have to be, it does have to be secretive. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, so the safe house that Samantha and I go to, we have only worked with underage survivors so far, and they were not allowed to take pictures of anything or post anything. We Everything has to be scrubbed. Like if I post on social media, I wipe the metadata off the photos before I even put them out there because I'm that paranoid on their behalf. So future state we would like to get to a point where they could write testimonials for us and like we could just read them and just scrub all of the any like identifiable information because there has been a situation with the last group just recently like where the girls they're not locked in there they go to public school but they some ran away so they got transferred out and so we had a group of five and then we were down to like one graduate and we have access to communicate with their caseworkers, but when they go, like, that's it. So unless they have the line to the next person that might be their caseworker, they're lost to us, hopefully temporarily. But so this last class that we had, we had five girls, which is the most that we've had in our program on the St. Louis side. And we were super excited and we graduated one last weekend and we have the geese for the other girls. So we're not so secretly hoping that they come come back in some capacity. They could reach out to us uh, separately outside of a safe house situation and say, "Hey, I want to keep doing this," and we would we would find a way to make it work. We'll travel. We'll do whatever. We'll bend over backwards. We'll go to a gym with them, whatever it takes. But yeah, I mean, it's with social media, it's not exactly the most uplifting topic to be posting about. So try to do feel good stuff and just talk about what we're doing when good things happen and then funny stuff sometimes. <laughs> so one thing that you guys just did, you just had a big seminar, right, with a black belt takeover. What can you guys explain that? I see on social media all the time you guys have like black belt takeovers of your social media. Can you go into that detail? So that was here in St. Louis. Um, we try to do one really big event once a year to try to help us raise money. Um, and that money could go towards things like mats or uh, if we do sponsor a survivor down the road, paying for their gym membership because we don't have that money in our own pockets. So um, this last event we had was a black belt takeover. It was a two-day seminar with seven black belts and uh, we sold a limited amount of tickets to it and just a way to get the jujitsu community together to try to raise money and raise awareness of human trafficking. Um, last year we had a roll-a-thon where it was an all-day roll-a-thon. Everyone from every gym can come and just roll open mat, train with everybody from different gyms and Christina does an event in PA as well. Uh, for our East Coast branch. Christina, can you go into a little detail on what, what your event looks like? Yeah, sure. So like Samantha had mentioned, this will be our second 
uh, year. So our first year, we did roll-a-thons in Missouri and in Pennsylvania. Um, we try to keep them about six months apart. So we'll do January in Missouri and then July-ish time here in Pennsylvania. Um, this year, we're going to do the same thing we did in Missouri, a black belt takeover. So we're going to have a seminar, hopefully a two-day seminar, with between six to eight black belts. Um, and they'll take over. We'll split them up evenly, about an hour apiece, and then hopefully have open mat at the end. And it's like had, Samantha had mentioned, it's just to kind of bring the community together, bring awareness to not only our nonprofit, but um, sex trafficking and sex trafficking survivors, exploitation, all that, and kind of be able to raise money for these survivors because um, what, what we do, we have to buy the geese, we have to buy the mats, we have to, we want to make sure that, you know, these survivors have everything that they need to be able to continue on with this therapeutic journey. On your guys' gee that you give to these uh, survivors, does it have your patch or anything like that? So... It does. It has your logo and whatnot. It does. Okay. I was just wondering because you're because I you're you're talking about how it's a sensitive subject, and I can imagine like someone be like, "Hey, that's a that's a cool patch." Like, how did you get that? And it's like, well, you know what I mean. So that's. Mm -hmm. But I mean, people can always redirect and say it's something else if they feel uncomfortable with it. But uh, how do you guys get your geese made? Then do you just have a patch and get it sewn on on like a a random gee, or do you have like a manufacturer that you go through for it? So we have a wholesale. We have a part. Oh, what was that? We have a wholesale <laughs> account through Gameness, um, oh. and we partner with Gameness. So we pay for half of the gi. So if a standard uh, Air Pro gi is one hundred and twenty dollars, we pay for half of it, and then the organization that we're working with, like Crisis Aid or North Star Initiative in Pennsylvania, pays for the other half of it. Um, so depending on how many survivors survivors and we'll pay for half of the costs and they'll pay for the other half and they actually took the pdf of our logo and made a patch and they sew it on before they send it out to us that's really cool have you guys ever thought about selling those as a fundraiser or anything like that people ask <laughs> uh yes yeah we do have our patches though for sale Yes, that you can purchase for your own gi. Um, but as for like our signature gi, we don't have those available yet. Is that a yet, future thing? Yeah, are we gonna drop some like Maybe. some hints? No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, we have had lots of people <laughs> So what what is the next Sorry. step for your organization then, Holly? What what are you working on in the background that to help these ladies out when they're doing these black belt takeovers and these camps and whatnot? I'm just trying to keep the wheels on the bus for them. So I make sure that I do all the techie stuff. So I manage our Google for nonprofit domain. So if we have any new volunteers that need to be registered into the system, get them added to the different chats that they need to be a part of, get them an email address, do social media posts and promotions. If we're having an event, record some stuff, take pictures, um, and pretty much anything that they ask me to do i will go get my shovel and that. support for elbows tight is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming manscaped offers precision engineer tools for your family jewels manscaped recently launched the ultimate men's hygiene bundle the performance package join over four million men worldwide who trust manscaped with this exclusive offer for you 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping with the code ETP20 at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. That's a lot of balls, Johnny. <laughs>
When Manscaped reached out to work with us, I instantly thought, yes, what a deal. I've been using Manscaped products for a while now, and when they mentioned helping out with the podcast, I, I thought it was a no-brainer. I have the Lawnmower 4.0 now, but I had the Lawnmower 3.0 and absolutely loved it. Also, most people think about Manscaped as tr- just trimmers, but really they have ball deodorant, ball toner, the weed whacker, which is your favorite thing, right, John? Yeah, I love the weed whacker. Look, I'm about to hit like 45 years old, so I got hair growing out of everywhere now. So it's coming out my ears. I'm like, man, where is that weed whacker? It's definitely my favorite. <laughs> Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ETP20 at Manscaped. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code ETP20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools to get the job done with Manscaped. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing the biggest thing that like, people can do to help is donate. Would that would that would that be the Hell biggest yes. thing they could do to, to to impact? And share our uh, like socials, like follow, like, share, and donate. How can we donate? Absolutely. How can someone donate to you guys? Do you have a GoFundMe, or is it through your website, or how does that work? Through our website. Um, primarily, and then at events, and then through just purchases of our um, t-shirts, sweatshirts, ghee patches, and anything else that we come up with in the future. But mainly, we have a we have a website, so it explains the whole mission, and then you can get merchandise through there, and then you can just do a straight donation if you want to. Too. So, what what is the big the big like mission or not, I don't want to say mission because you guys have a mission, but I would like, what's the, what's the, where do you guys want to go with this? Like how far do you want to reach? Do you want to be like all over the United States instead of just St. Louis and PA? Or do you want to have people all like up here in Washington state, California, right? Do you guys want to have hubs everywhere? Like what is the ultimate goal for your guys' organization? To be able to eventually have hubs everywhere would be pretty much the ultimate goal. It would be really cool if we could have, you know, a station in every single state eventually or something. So that way we can kind of spread ourselves out without spreading ourselves out too thin Um, to be able to kind of make a team like we have part of our just within our internal volunteers. We've got North Carolina, Ohio. Florida. So we're slowly expanding out in the United States. It hasn't gotten any further that for us to be able to do events and things like that yet. Um, but eventually we would love to be able to cover more ground in the U.S. What do you think is holding you up from doing that? Is it just personnel, time? Like, would you guys need to take this on as a full-time job in order for that to happen? Like, what do you think is holding you guys up from doing that? Um, A lot of it is, I do believe, with just finding volunteers, we had a really hard time finding that just because, like you had mentioned before, it's it's because of what we do and because of our mission, it's very secretive. We can't always post, like, you know, updates and things like that. It's mostly, like, us just talking, so it has to be very trustworthy. So to be able to find volunteers has kind of been um, hard, but I think overall for all of us is just time. Um, we all work full time. Samantha's a new mom. I'm a mom. Holly is a mom. Like, so we just have, you know, our own personal lives that we always try to take care of first. We're very much family first. Um, and then try to do everything with the nonprofit, which sometimes it gets a little bit harder, especially being in in completely different states and time zones sometimes. But I think overall we make it work and it might be a slow progress to be able to get to our ultimate goal. But um, as long as we keep chipping away, I'm sure we'll get there. 
How do you guys how do you guys vet volunteers? Do you do a background check on them, like a or do you just interview them? Are well, you talking to the police? They go right on their computer and they're like, <laughs> so that's like uh, I got all no the information. Warts. We're good here. <laughs> <laughs> She's letting us in her squad car. Home. What's his name? I got. <laughs> um, so for like for the volunteers who don't actually work with the survivors, most of those volunteers come through word of mouth. Um, Brian is our training coordinator. He's in North Carolina. He actually volunteers for other nonprofits um, that deal with human trafficking. Jason is in Ohio, and he's our photographer. We, Our volunteers that don't work with the survivors are just friends or word of mouth. Now, when it comes to the uh, volunteers that actually work with the survivors, uh, we work with Crisis Aid International. So in order to be able to even work with those survivors, Crisis Aid runs their own background check, and they have their own training that they want anyone coming in contact with the survivors to do before they come into contact with the survivors um, because you have to know how to interact with the survivors. Triggers, things you can't say. Um, and then we have our own additional training that we have on done through the homes that we're working with. Um, and if they don't pass the background check, then they obviously can't work with us. So do you have male and female victims or is this just female only? As far as like, we would love to take on male victims. Unfortunately, the vast majority of the victims out there are female, overwhelmingly female. Do that. I would. I don't want to say separate, but we may have to because most females may not feel comfortable having a male there, or vice versa. Right. A male may not feel comfortable because a woman may have kept him out. Thing. Um, so we haven't come across it yet, and that's one of those things we'll have to attack when it comes across our plate because we haven't been put in that position yet. Yeah, I was curious because I was thinking about, like, your volunteers. I was like, well, I mean, is it, I was wondering, like, the victims, would they even be comfortable with a male volunteer if that was, like, an instructor? And me and Travis, we have to do um, trafficking training every year. It's part of our work. And when we used to go overseas, like uh, Jabal Ali and Bahrain, they had lots of male victims there that were in prostitution rings, things of that nature. That's why I was asking. I was just curious. Do you guys have any uh, statistics? Oh, no. Statistics? I can't, st- yeah, st- got I can't say it. Go ahead, Nat. Statistics? <laughs> On uh, human trafficking, like how po- uh, prominent it is in the United States, because we're, we were both Navy, and uh, we go to places that it's around the world is, is huge, obviously. Wherever the military is, human trafficking is, is, there. is, a, is a massive is a massive thing. Do you guys have any stats on how prominent it is in America? One of the top three states that it's actually happening in right now is a California, obviously California, Texas, and Florida. Um, those are the top three states it's going on right now. But then you have other cities like St. Louis and actually Pennsylvania. Uh, they're small has some major highways that cross through like 44 and 270. Um, There's some of the main international highways and uh, I mean, people are smuggling drugs, not just people, but drugs on these highways. Um, As far as statistics off the top of my head, 
like 14,000 to 15,000 a year people being trafficked throughout the United States. Um, that's men, women, children. That's not just gender specific. Um, it's more prominent than people actually think. People think this is a overseas problem, a, a third world problem. And no, it's going on right here in your backyard. And most of the time it's someone, you know, doing it. It's not a stranger. It's, a family member, a friend, an acquaintance, and it's not glamorized like it is on TV where girls walking down the street and she gets kidnapped. It's while you're in school, someone's grooming you on the social medias and you leave to go meet them. And then before you know it, you're in a totally different state. So do you think there's anything the public could keep an eye out for or anything like that that would help? Like any anything like that? I mean, I honestly... I never hear about it other than when I'm at work and I'm Very taking true. my training. You know, um, your guys' website, I hear about it, but like in general, I never really hear. It doesn't about make trafficking. news. You yeah. know, what I mean, I feel like it's not on like ever on the news when, especially like you mentioned how how it, uh, often it occurs in the United States and in your own backyard. I feel like yeah, I don't feel like it's it's preached enough how prominent it is. I would say, starting young social media is the biggest predator. Um, it is the predator. Most of the trafficking cases are starting young and it's people being groomed online. Um, kids being groomed online, people underprivileged children, um, poor, uh, not getting the love and attention that they want at home. So they're seeking it elsewhere on the media and that's where it's happening. So my advice would be for parents of young 13, 14 year old kids to pay attention to what your kid's doing online and who your kid's talking to online. Uh, Snapchat's probably the biggest predator of them all because mm. you can see somebody's location and every conversation you have with someone disappears. Uh, you can't track it. So I would just say monitor your kid's social media is the biggest thing and look out for someone who is starting to be withdrawn from their friends and family, uh, starting to be more into their phone and conversations they're having with somebody online. <clears throat> kids, kids better watch out. Yeah, I was about to say, I have a 13-year-old stepson, uh, 18-month-old son, and then my I my newest addition to the family is a daughter, right? I finally got my daughter, so me and my wife can stop having babies. But, <laughs> <laughs> but and that's like, honestly, like one one of my concerns, right, as, as a father is, is, you know, someone trying to take advantage of any of my kids, right? Because like you said, it's boys too that do, it does happen to. Like my son could literally be walking around school and a teacher could be whispering in his ears certain things or, or whatnot or trying to, you know, get him to go to the locker room or whatever. And it's like, honestly, like, Man, that it's just like a crazy thing to think about. And John, you have two daughters. I have three daughters. Three daughters. And sorry. we just had um, two assistant coaches at a local high school um, get sentenced to jail. So uh, yeah, I mean, it could happen anywhere. And one thing that you mentioned too is not knowing it's in your own backyard. One of my good friends, he's a captain in the Washington State Patrol, and he was in charge of the human trafficking for the western washington like they split it right down the middle and i was talking i was like i was like this can't be that popular in in our area he's like oh yeah it's huge he's like the massage parlors uh prostitution he's like he's like you don't even realize how many kids go missing when when you know in these human trafficking things and then you don't see them until they're like 18 20 years old and people don't even know who they are anymore He's like, it's it's actually a very, very big thing in Washington State. And that was an eye-opener for me because my wife and I try to tell our son, like, don't trust people. 
He's like, why? What do you mean? I was like, just because you're a dude doesn't mean someone won't kidnap you. Like, like it's, it's, it, it'll happen to you too, you know? So do you guys, or when you guys look at your kids, are you trying to preach that into you too? Like, it's got to be hard, especially for you ladies, when you see these victims to not overthink it with your own kids, right? Like, what do you, mm-hmm. how do you guys, Absolutely. how do you guys keep yourself level headed when you see these women like and come from these horrible situations and you're like, do you, do you like instantly go to gravitate to your kids? And you're like, I'm never going to let you leave the house. You're going to be like bubble boy and just you stay ain't get here no social media. <laughs> done. Like, how do you find that happy median for your kids? I mean, I don't know if you guys have to be there yet. How old your guys' kids are. Both of you said Samantha and Christina said you're newer moms, but like, are you guys already preparing yourself for this? I am a um, step parent for a 10 year old son. So for me, I'm like, I want to respect his right to privacy, but I also do this as a yeah. side project. And then I work in cybersecurity infosec. So he will never have a device that I am not all up in. So I vet every app. He just, you know, Oh, can I get discord? Let me do some reading. Nope, absolutely not. (laughs) Snapchat? Nope, absolutely not. Facebook? Not until you're a certain age. Instagram? Not until you're a certain age. Read the privacy policies. How do they track your data? What kind of data are they keeping? What is he posting? Like, my husband and I already have had to have conversations with him about how he communicates on text messages with his groups of friends because you just can't. You just can't say whatever you think or you feel, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like you can't. And then we're like, well, we don't want their parents thinking like we're the shitty parents right. that like lets you like talk like, but then I am, but like, whatever, I have a filter when I'm supposed to. So, but yes, it's already in, in my mind. If I had a daughter, I'd be like, um, you're doing MMA forever. You're going to be a black belt in jujitsu by the time you're 12. Um, you will know how to like, how about judo krav maga do you need to learn how to shoot a gun i would be all the things i would be so over the top extra because yes we know too much now just from the training that we've had to take to be to have the privilege to work with survivors i've learned things that have like terrified me so well it's interesting you say it's interesting you say that because they have daughters i have a 15 year old daughter and a 10 year old daughter both are in jiu-jitsu the 15-year-old, well, she just left it, and I have a hard time getting her to go back to it. She's stuck with it for about three years. My 10-year-old still goes. The problem I have is we don't have any women in our classes. That's the problem. So, like, when my daughter goes, mm-hmm. if she's not part- partnered up with me, she's with some guy, you know, and it freaks her out, and she doesn't like it. That's the biggest problem I have with keeping my kids in jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. I think all three of us have been there. At some, I, when I started jiu-jitsu, I had to ask my professor if I could participate because it was only dudes, and I thought no one's going to want to partner with me. But, I mean, I was in my 20s, and I was still intimidated, so I totally get how your daughter would feel that way. So it's just something that you have to try to get comfortable with if you're really passionate about it. Samantha, how are you preparing yourself for when your your daughter, like Holly mentioned, are you... My son, my my 13-year-old son, he has an iPhone, and my wife has an iPhone, and so she can literally look at everything, basically bring his screen up on her screen. You know what I mean? Like, she tracks everything with, with it, like, where's he at? Who's he text messaging? 
like Holly said, approving apps and whatnot, right? And and more for him because he just wants to download random things. And I'm like, that could be malware, bro. Like, you shouldn't be downloading. <laughs> like, how, how are you preparing yourself for having these conversations or social media and whatnot with your kids? So the fact that I'm a police officer and the fact that my husband is a Marine Corps veteran, I would venture off to say that she's not going to get away with shit when she's older. Um Fun fact, Holly is actually my daughter's godmother. So um, between the fact that she's got two awesome godparents and two parents who are basically going to helicopter over her, and I hate using that term because I never thought I would be a helicopter parent, but we're in 2022, and the world is a scary, scary place. There are so many predators out there and so many ill intentions that I just can't imagine sending her out into the world not being prepared so absolutely she'll be in jujitsu absolutely my husband does krav maga she'll be in krav maga uh i would like to think that by the time she's 18 and going off to college i wouldn't have to worry about her because she'd be able to kick any boy's ass who tries to touch her um that's the goal (laughs) i want her to be very educated on this topic and as soon as she gets to an age where she can mentally understand and her cognitive abilities are there, I can start teaching her about what's going on in the world. I don't want to scare her, but I want her to have the tools to go out into the world and make well-educated decisions and know what's right and wrong and how to pick out certain behaviors that may not be okay. And definitely to know that if a man touches you in a way you don't want to be touched, it's totally okay to throat punch him. I will back you up 100%. Preach. Preach. Absolutely. <laughs> Christina, what about you? Um, so I have a five-year-old daughter. I just keep her busy. Um, and I always make sure that I'm there for her and we have open lines of communication. I always let her know that she can, you know, always be open and and trust me with anything that she has to say. Um, so she does Brazilian jiu-jitsu. She does gymnastics. She does horse riding. So we keep her very, very busy just because I want her around good groups of people. Um, I'd rather her spend her you know, days when she's older at a barn stable, brushing horses or cleaning up like a horse stall, than going to, you know, the street corners and hanging out with her friends and walking the streets. So I always try to keep her very busy with a ton of different hobbies and projects um, on top of being there every step of the way. So I always make sure that, of, of course, she has like a tablet or something. So that way she has some way whenever we're out that she can kind of behave, you know, how that is when you're out to eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. But other than that, we always have, like, times where, you know, we don't have phones. Like, dinner time is just about talking. It's about your ups and downs for the day. What's your high? What's your low? And being able to always have that open line of communication with her, even though she's five years old. She's super intelligent. Um, And so I just want to make sure that I'm continuously feeding her with the support that she needs. It's funny you mentioned how she's already super intelligent, five years old. Uh, my wife, I told her, I was like, because obviously she's a girl, she doesn't realize it, but when girls mature so much faster than boys, like talking to his 10 year old daughter is like talking to an adult sometimes. I'm like, Let me, you are too smart for your own good <laughs> You didn't girl. get it from me, for yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely not wife. John. Jo- talking to John is like talking yeah, to a plank yeah, sometimes. Yes, but yes, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because we, our youngest now is a, do- is a daughter, right? So he's a girl. And so I was like, babe, you're going to realize how fast she's going to mature. Mm-hmm. Like, old, she may be younger than our middle, but she's going to be more mature faster than he is. Like, mm-hmm. boys are stupid. Like, you're going to realize how st- – <laughs> 
we're really dumb and they w- girls are really smart so it's going to be it's going to be funny to see the the transition when she starts to looking at her older brothers like you guys are dumb like, what, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about creating a fake profile and then friend requesting your kids mm. <laughs> i don't know if that's I'm, over the line i don't know if i I'll be like look i want to monitor i'll be like i'll be the fake friend on there well, no that sounds like a bad idea you need to go home and talk to your parents i'm not above it but the scenario would have to be like there would have to be a scenario in which i'm like i gotta do some super secret investigation here yeah. so i gotta turn myself into like some 12 year old dude and <laughs> And then you're kind of feeling awkward about it. Catfish like, my stepson or I, something. I don't know. Like, is, that, is that the right word for catfishing? Or if your stepmom is pretending to be an adolescent boy? I don't know. It, it's, I don't it's like a, where this a, went. Ethical so just dilemma. take this whole part out. Because I think... Don't worry, I'm post-processing. I could just delete this whole question. Yeah, I don't want him to find the podcast later and be like questioning every like what he does get Facebook. Right. Like, which one is my stepmom's fake account? Actually, you know what? I kind of want him to because then he'll probably be on his toes. That's right. That's right. We're we're trying to get our our oldest right now to. We like you mentioned earlier, Holly. Like you can't just say whatever you want to people, especially adults, because I tell my son like constantly, what you say and how you say it matters to people. Like you can't just say what you want and not wait or not think that someone's going to get offended by it, angry by it, or take it the wrong way. If you're, he's very black and white, like probably most teenagers are, right? And so I'm like, dude, no offense, you sound like a dick right now. Like he's like, what? I'm just saying it. Like no, I understand, but like you gotta understand, like you can't just say that to people. Like people are, I don't understand. I'm just telling them. Like, I understand that, but like yeah. you know what I mean. And I feel like kids today are so oblivious to to social cues and whatnot, especially during the, like thanks to the pandemic. You know what I mean? Like kids being home for two years in a row. Like my son lost out on so many social skills, and when he talks to adults now, I'm like. That is an adult, big guy. Like you gotta, you gotta show a little bit more restraint on on your vocabulary. Have you guys noticed that as well? Um, for my stepson, he just like he's good at interacting with adults, but like, but he just doesn't l- look at them. And I'm like, they're mm-hmm. over there. Like, just look at them when you're talking. Like, it's okay. Like, they're not gonna bite. But yeah, I mean, the pandemic kind of ruined a lot for kids like doing those two years in front of a mm-hmm. screen really kind of changed some things for him too I feel like in his age group so that was yeah. fourth and fifth grade for him I know I would walk up to my son's room when he's in class and he's like in a bathrobe looking up <laughs> at the ceiling and I'm like what are you doing he's like I'm in class I'm like no you're not that's like, <laughs> you're sitting you're physically here but you're not meant like you're not mentally in class well, like I mean that's she's just explaining preparing something. you for a corporate life working remote I thought that's work from home like like, if I don't have to turn my camera on I'm definitely wearing you can guarantee I'm wearing my big fluffy robe so (laughs) have you guys seen those pictures of people working from home and they have like a tux top and then they're like shorts on the (laughs) (laughs) bottom no comment so to kind of yeah right to kind of switch over and go kind of more back to women in jiu-jitsu what are your ladies' feelings, uh, Christina? Let's start with you. What are your feelings on women doing jujitsu full time and women's self defense classes? Like, where, where, how do you feel about those things? Do you think they should do one more than the other, or if they only have a certain amount of time, which one would they do? Um, personally, I've only done jujitsu, and um, I feel like I feel like it always depends on 
the class structure that you have and the coach that you have. Um, I feel like if you have been in a situation that you feel like you need to be able to prepare yourself for, if you're afraid that same situation or scenario will happen again, 100% self-defense. Um, if that's how you, you know, feel a lot more comfortable, it's, you know, scenario based. However, I feel like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu not only makes me feel like I'll be able to protect myself, but it also gives me the confidence that I can carry moving off of the mat. So that way I feel like if I was ever put into a certain situation, I'll be able to kind of react because Jiu Jitsu is very much a mind game. I mean, obviously you work your body, but I'm much more mentally exhausted after Jiu Jitsu than anything else. Fighting for your life is hard and mentally mm -hmm. taxing. Like, no matter how good you are. <laughs> Holly, about, what about you? Um, I I got really lucky with the, the school that I landed at. When I started doing um, karate and then moved into jiu-jitsu, my professor was always really good about giving the spin of, like, this is how you could use this for self-defense. I was the only girl doing any of that stuff. So I don't know if he just, that was like part of the curriculum or if he kind of added it in for my own benefit. Um, so I agree with Christina. Like I wouldn't say one over the other. I was lucky and I feel like I got both out of the same school. But if you were put in a scenario and you want to practice what you can do to avoid confrontations like that, then you would do, you know, the... What was it? Self-defense. Self-defense. Self Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I got punched in the face a lot when I was younger. Anyway, um, do self-defense. Uh, will, it will um, give you more confidence no matter what. And then the jujitsu aspect, I think, just builds on that confidence, really. Like, not being afraid to get taken down, not being afraid to be put in an um, uncomfortable situation, um, knowing how to think under pressure, um, knowing your limits physically, like I'm not going to try to do certain moves on somebody that's three times bigger than me and knowing how to get those escapes from adversaries that are larger than me. I feel like jujitsu in the long run really gives you more, but I think a good way to get people into jujitsu might be through self-defense classes and saying, well, if you like this and you want to do more, try this. Just a good point. Very good point on the end right there. Samantha, what about you? Can you repeat the question? Because I was listening intently to Christina and Holly that I forgot what the actual question was. <laughs> no, bro. So women's self-defense or regular jujitsu, which one, if there was one over the other, which one would you choose and why or why not? So when I first started jujitsu, I started it for the aspect of self-defense because I wanted to be in the FBI and then I slowly fell in love with it and kind of turned to the competitive aspect and strayed away from the self-defense aspect. Uh, competition jujitsu was kind of a high that I was riding for a while. Now that I'm a law enforcement officer, I've kind of turned back to the self-defense aspect because I would rather keep myself safe and I can't keep myself safe barren bowling around a suspect. It's just not going to happen. I have to be realistic in my uh, positions and I have to think smart and kind of the same thing as both of them. I wouldn't say one or the other, but I think women need to have self-defense because women are more susceptible to being victims than men. 
And I think every woman should have that in their pocket and be able to defend themselves. No one wants to be a victim. And it's not going to stop you from being a victim. Whatever happens is going to happen. But I think having that tool in your pocket is a very nice tool to have and being confident and knowing that if something were to happen, you'd at least have a chance. Um, so yeah, I kind of, what they both said, not one or the other, but I, I lean more towards self-defense because of my career so I have a, a two-part question for you. First, I'm, I'm going to give them the story about the Bremerton attack. Oh, yeah. This so is a terrible situation. We had, we had a real violent attack here a couple months ago where um, a lady was going into a parking garage probably about 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night. Um, she went in by herself. She got attacked in the elevator. She fought, stabbed, screamed, fingernails, you name it, to this guy. He was, uh, what, I think, 6'5", 280 pounds. Big guy, right? She fought as much as she could, couldn't do anything. He was raping her. Another lady came in, stopped, you know, he stopped, ran off. The police arrested him, like, on the second floor, right? Um, so part of this question is, with your law enforcement backgrounds, how do you stay motivated when you have a, 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 a perpetrator like him who had three or four felonies, um, got out of they basically let him out on parole, like 2000 bucks, And then two months later, he does this. And, I mean, he violent offender, carjackings, you name it. Just in jail a couple months prior, and they let him out with this ridiculous bail. So I'd like to get your opinion. Like, how do you stay motivated when you arrest someone like this? And then they're right back on the street two months later. And the second question is, my wife and Travis's wife tried a self-defense class for jiu-jitsu, right? Um, but, but it was women only. My problem with that, and I told my wife, is if she gets attacked by a male, he's going to be stronger. He's going to be aggressive. He's probably on meth or PCP or something. And I don't feel like when they do a self-defense class where it's just just women, they're, they're going to get the actual feel of how to defend themselves if they get attacked in a parking garage by some crazy guy that's a freak of nature. And that's always rubbed me the wrong way when they do those self-defense classes. So I just want to get your opinion on those things. So, and by the way, my wife asked me, she said, what could she have done different to prevent that from happening? Like, what could she have done to get away from that guy? And they didn't like my answer. I said, it sounded like she did everything she possibly could other than she shouldn't have been in that situation. As in walking to a parking garage at night by herself. The only thing I could think of is don't be there was the only way she could have got out of that. And they didn't like my answer, but I didn't have an answer other than that. They're like, what move could she have used? I was, I was like, like, there's nothing. There's no move that's going to stop what, someone like that. You yeah, know what I, I, mean? I couldn't give a, an answer that made them happy. So to answer the first question, uh, it's really fucking hard to stay motivated, especially here in St. Louis. I'm not going to talk crap about our politicians here in St. Louis, but anyone from St. Louis listening to this podcast knows who is running the PA's office for St. Louis County and who's running the PA's office for St. Louis City and knows that they're not doing law enforcement any favors. Um, it's really, really hard. I can't tell you how many cases I've had sent off where someone overdosed, but there was fentanyl on the scene of the overdose. So I charged them with possession because you wouldn't be overdosing if you didn't have all this fentanyl in your house and my case gets shut down or I find crystal meth in a car and they decide, oh, it's not enough evidence. It's like, but there's crystal meth right here. How's that not enough evidence? Okay. <laughs> right. But it's really, really hard. Um, the only answer I can come up with for that is 
it makes me sleep better at night knowing that I'm taking shitty people like that off the street. Um, and I can live with myself knowing I did everything I could. Um, I wish we had better politicians in office and I wish we had better prosecuting attorneys. And the only answer to that solution is people need to get out and vote and do their due diligence to vote for the right candidate. Um, as far as the second question goes, I completely 100% agree with that. I've always said you don't get to pick your opponent on the street. Um, so when I've trained, I haven't trained in the last nine months because I've been pregnant. But when I do train, I always try to train with the biggest guy in the room, the strongest guy in the room. I at least attempted it. And I've had situations where I've had to fight people on the streets and I didn't get to pick my opponent. And even though I had a gun and pepper spray and a baton and all this I don't want to rely on them because, hey, we have body cameras now. You're being watched and media is going to misconstrue me using my pepper spray or me using my taser. They're going to say, oh, I relied on it. It was a crutch and where I could have gone hands-on, but on the same token, if I'm in a situation where the dude's bigger than me and I'm on the streets and I'm by myself and my closest assist is like five minutes away, I'm going to do what I have to do to go home at the end of the day. And I will go home because now I have a daughter, mm -hmm. so. Right. So I just wanted to to comment on this scenario you had said, like what she could have done a little bit differently. I first of all, I just want to say I respectfully disagree with what you had said. Um, and I only say that because that it's almost like victim blaming. Right. It's almost like saying, oh, well, if she didn't wear that short skirt, she wouldn't be asking for it. You know, well, it, as a as a person, you can't go off of what somebody else is doing and, and use that as a reason as to why something bad happened to them. Um, so as far as training, obviously, you know, if she did self-defense or jujitsu, it may have helped. We don't know what her background was. We don't know if she's had any of that. Um, if you know that you're going to be, but in the same token, like you had mentioned, if you know that you're going to be alone at night in an enclosed space where you don't really know if anybody's hiding behind a car or around the next corner, like you don't have an uh, open view or a clear view of what's going on, you always want to make sure that you're protected. So even though I have my 10 years of um, jujitsu experience and I've done MMA and I've done all these, I'm always safe because you never bring a knife to a gunfight, right? So I always have my pepper spray. I always have a knife on me. I carry a gun. I always have those things on me. Samantha had mentioned those are things that she feels like she can't rely on being um, when she's on the line uh, task of duty when, while she's working. However, as a woman, if I'm in an elevator, the first thing I'm going to reach for is the first thing that's going to get you off of me right away. Um, so you always want to make sure that you're 100% prepared. And that's not just in the background of training, but that's also making sure that you have things on you. Unfortunately, being a woman, that's that's how it is nowadays, I feel like. You always have to make sure that you're protected, always have to be looking over your shoulder. Um, it's not fair, but that's unfortunately how it is. But in the same token, you had mentioned that you don't agree with um, or don't like that it's women only self-defense. And I 100% agree with you because we made a comment earlier that it's mostly women that are sexually abused. However, we don't actually know if that's a real life statistic only because not a lot of men come forward because they're not believed. Because it's, oh, how can a woman, you're bigger than her, you're stronger than her, how can you let this happen type of thing. So. Um, to be able to have a class that welcomes men, it doesn't only help the women to be able to protect themselves against an attack from a male, 
if that is who they get attacked by and not another woman. It also makes the man feel comfortable and vulnerable enough to be able to know that whatever happened to me, if something did, it's okay, it's not my fault, and I'm going to be able to become better from that. And it helps you to be able to work with a female, um, to be able to protect yourself. How, Even though you're supposedly stronger than her, how are you going to be able to um, keep her at a distance where you can get away safely so that way the tables don't get turned on you and so on and so forth? I totally agree. And what I meant by that was the situational awareness mm-hmm. aspect. Like, I'm never going to walk downtown Seattle, even at 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. even even though I can still carry it because I know that place is just too dangerous. Right. Like, that's all I meant by that. But no, I completely no, no. Yeah, agree yeah, with yeah, what yeah. you said. So how do we get – I asked Katie Egan this. She's a brown belt here over in Washington State. She runs the Instagram Women Who Roll. Uh, mm-hmm. If you guys haven't checked her out, she's great. Uh, we talked to her, and I, one question I asked her, and I would love to get your guys' opinion on it too, is how do we get more women into jujitsu? Because I, we all can agree it's it's an amazing martial art, very important to learn how to defend yourself, and unfortunately, like you just said, especially women. And so I feel like there's a major disconnect in women getting into the doors. How can we do that as men, as a community, as women? How can we do that? I feel like you have to be an advocate for your gym specifically. Um, I know that you had mentioned that your daughter stopped doing jujitsu after three years because she was the only one. So I have only been the only woman in class for a long period of time. Most of my training has just been with guys only. And the only reason why I stuck it out is because I was like, I want to be that girl. I started jujitsu and I didn't have anybody. I didn't have anyone to relate to. I didn't have anybody to look up to. It was pretty much just me on the mats with all these guys. So for me, it was, I wanted to be that difference in another girl's, you know, if I, if she walks into the gym and she's nervous, I'll be the one that walks up to her. I will welcome her to the mat and I will try to get her comfortable enough to stay because a lot of it has to do with like what Holly had said. It's comfortability with being on the mats. You are shy. You're nervous. It's your first time doing something. It's a very close in contact sport and you're the only female. So being a huge advocate for your gym, um, I think is the number one factor. I mean, obviously you can go on like jujitsu pages and say how amazing jujitsu is, but being able to be there during the classes as a female and welcome other females and try to kind of, uh, market and get more women into your gym, I think would be a lot uh, helpful in my, um, opinion. That's good. I could probably work on that and greet a little more when they come in the gym. Yeah. I'll work on that. Holly, what do you think? I mean, I agree a lot with what Christina says. Like, um, when I started doing jujitsu at my school, I was the only girl. I was the only girl trying to get my black belt in karate. I was the only girl sparring. I was the only girl. There were girls there to take kickboxing class, but you had a partner. Um, So just getting, I mean, it starts with somebody. It just so happened to be me. But after that, having, learning so much and feeling so empowered, other girls because jujitsu class at my school was right after kickboxing so I would just get out there and start shrimping and eventually like another girl would talk to me about it after kickboxing class and they'd be like oh what is that and I'd be like it's this it's awesome just try it you don't have to keep doing it if you don't like it I really like it blah 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 and I was just advocating for the sport like nobody it looks like you're not being welcome because dudes aren't going to rush up to be like, Oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. Cause that's creepy. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> yeah. it's yeah, a right. really right. fine line to like, 
for men to encourage women to do jujitsu because they're like, yeah, come roll with us and we get all sweaty and like, it'll be great. And you're like, that sounds gross. <laughs> And now you're, I, now you're scaring me off from the grid. Yeah, I was like, I, yeah, could yeah. Be, I could greet more. Now I'm like, no, no, Shit, I'm not. I've definitely I'm done not that be before. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> have you ever wanted to feel the feeling of someone else's sweat dropping directly into your pupil? Yeah. Come try yeah. jujitsu. You'll love it. No, that's not how you're going to get people to come through the door. <laughs> so, I mean, and I, I honestly don't have like good advice as a man how to encourage a woman to want to do jujitsu. I only know how to encourage it from a female perspective, which is that it's really awesome. You'll find out that you're way stronger than you thought you were. All these things that you might consider a weakness about yourself are actually advantages because we've got skinny necks. We're harder to triangle and I've got skinny arms. And so I can just swoop right out and like, I'm, I'm more compact. So when I turtle, like my spaces are smaller. So good luck to you. Like those are all advantages that you would think, well, I'm too small. I'm not that strong. And da, 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 da. like, I don't have a lot of muscles and it all ends up actually, once you figure out your game, you know, you just work all of those things to your advantage. So that's a whole lot to say. Uh, I agree with Christina. <laughs> it's funny. You, it's funny. You mentioned the, the, what people think are your weaknesses. We have, we always talk about her. We have a 16-year-old girl named Riley. She listens to the show. Apparently, she's making like a like a montage of how many times we talk to her on the show because she's so inspirational. She's She does wrestling. She did judo for a while. She's an orange belt in jiu-jitsu. But I, when I roll with her, it's like I have to be very technical with her because she will take advantage of like me – like being lackadaisical, like I don't use my size and strength and whatnot. I have to be very technical. But I remember one time uh, <laughs> she was a gym and gymnast. Also, I remember one time I had a uh, uh, single leg X on her, and I went for a sweep, and she just did the splits and didn't. I didn't get the sweep, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna have to try something else now. <laughs> like, like I won't do that. My rock bottom is like my feet, like two feet apart. You know what I mean? Like that. Anything past that, I'm going over. You know what I mean? So I think people, like you mentioned you start to realize like these things that you might think aren't that important actually are very powerful when it comes to your, how you do a technique or what works for you and what, what doesn't, I have short, thick legs. I can't triangle people to save my life. You know what I mean? So I just don't do that. Right. Like mm -hmm. I'm a little bit of a bigger guy. Baron bowling doesn't work for me. Right. Me but neither. I can give, deliver a good amount of pressure. You know what I mean? Like that's pressure passing and smashing people. That's something that I do work for. And I think women, once they actually start figuring out their game, they start mm -hmm. to realize like, Oh, this works great for me. It's like a guy can't stop this. I don't care how good he is. You know what I mean? Getting triangle by a girl sucks. Like I'm just <laughs> wrist locks work for everyone. Just so you know. I love wrist locks. <laughs> oh, well, we got another one. <laughs> so Samantha, what what about you? What, what how would you uh, say we can advocate a little bit more? Uh, same thing as Christina and Holly, and I think every female would agree. Advocating to get females in there and being supportive. Girls are unfortunately mean. They're not the nicest. And I've been to gyms where I've walked in and there's been other girls there and I get mean mug because I'm the blue belt walking in and they don't know me. And it's not nice. It's not welcoming. I think advocating and being the, the female that lifts up the other women's crown and women empowerment, not so much the feminist perspective, but empowering each other because We've come a long way. There was a point in time when women jujitsu wasn't a thing. Women in martial arts wasn't a thing. We had to fight our way to get here. And now that we're here, now we're in competitions. And there's women who could take on some of the best, best black belt men in the world. And I think empower. 
very, very important and encouraging and uplifting one another and not being nasty and rude when new people come in and just welcome them. Because like Christina said, there was a point in time where I was the only female and I would hate if another female walked in and she left because she didn't feel welcomed. It's not not my style. I know it's not Holly's style or Christina's style. And hopefully none of the women listening to this podcast style. So definitely advocation. One thing that uh, Katie told us that I kind of, I really took to heart was including the women as like, you know, one of the guys, like not being afraid of rolling with them. Cause I'm not going to lie. Rolling with a woman was kind of intimidating for me because I just didn't, I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable with me putting my hand somewhere or doing a certain move. Right. And it's like, honestly talking to more women that do jujitsu is kind of stupid looking back on it now, but a lot of men don't overcome that, that barrier of uncomfortability rolling with a woman also, especially if like, say you're rolling with a woman, your wife walks in and you're, she's like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know what I mean? So, and that was one thing that I, I really started to do was I was like, I would, I would like ask the women, like, do you want to roll? Like, I'm, I'm, you're, we're both teammates, we're partners. Like, well, I don't, we, we could both learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And that, that's one thing that I really had to do. So, kind of on to that, how do you think it's dumb that guys do feel that? Or how would you tell guys to get over that? Like, you guys want to roll with, uh, with men, you guys want to roll with women. Like, you don't want to be stuck to just rolling with the women in class, right? So, how would you kind of break that ice for, for men? <laughs> I would say I don't necessarily it's it's nice that a guy is like oh do you want to roll like for Christina and I and probably Sam too there's been instances where there are no girls to choose from so it's kind of like yeah bitch we're gonna roll because like (laughs) this is it so but um I guess uh, for me personally like if a man is unsure or uncomfortable wanting to roll with me just know that like I've already accepted like the what happens to my body and your body when we're rolling so it's not something that's I feel like maybe men are overthinking it a little bit and being like oh my god uh touching things and like she's gonna get offended and then I'm gonna feel like an ass and it's like no we already (laughs) know I completely agree with that yeah like we already know like we've been doing jujitsu so unless it's like their absolute first class and you're just like going ham and doing some weird shit you shouldn't be doing like she's already at a point where she's like yeah it's gonna there's weird positions there's you know there's mount and all that stuff and like sweats everywhere and limbs are everywhere and I don't think that you guys have to feel uncomfortable or ask permission per se, but just show that you're respectful. You know, if they seem uncomfortable, then yeah, be like, Hey, do you want to roll? You can keep it light. Um, But I was also taught that like, ask for what I want. So like if I have an injury or I see somebody who's like spazzing and they like call me out to roll, I'll be like, water break. Like, (laughs) <laughs> not today Satan. gotta fix my belt yeah yeah like Shit, I, no. do, I do that <laughs> too oh actually i gotta go sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i mean i learned that from my professor because i thought i had to take every role that was offered to me because if i didn't then i was weak because i was the girl and then as i belted up and like learned more and learned more about myself and my own game and my well-being and my injuries that i s- stubbornly ignored for too long like i got to a point where i was like oh, i'm not I'm not here for that today. And if she doesn't want to roll with any of y'all, she'll be like, I don't want to fucking roll with you. I'll just be doing some drills over here. I'm going to go home now. So 
Yeah. And I think like to play off what Holly had said is also just being aware of the female because everybody comes in with different personalities. So you're going to be able to tell when a girl's more shy than one that's more outgoing. Right. Um, and to be able to just work with them. So if they're shy to roll, be like, Hey, what you want to just do the technique that we just did? What about you and I just drill this round and, you know, to get them more comfortable. Cause it doesn't necessarily mean that the women, cause we don't, at least I have never overthought the way that you had mentioned men do about like, you know, being close and touching on all that stuff. It's more than just like, I, what do I do if I get in this situation? Like, I don't want to like get squished the whole time. So just being aware and being able to actually work with the female partners because nobody likes, I know that sometimes it's intimidating to be able to roll with a girl and, but girls are very intimidated by guys in general, just with the bigger size. So you don't want to go and get squished the whole time. You want to be able to learn and roll. And so I think just being aware of the female partner that you have and the personality that you're working with. So one question that we like to finish up what, uh, the podcast with is if you had one piece of advice for a brand new white belt starting jujitsu, uh, I don't think I explained it good enough. This podcast is made for like the beginning practitioner. I don't know if you guys caught on to that. So we, we always like to try to market everything towards that beginning practitioner. So what would one piece of advice be for that brand new white belt that is just starting their journey on jujitsu? Samantha? Um, I would say don't give up. Jujitsu is not easy. And this is something I tell the survivors. It's actually in their conversation that we go over. Jujitsu is not easy. It's very hard and it takes a very, very long time to get really good at it. And sometimes the people who are even really good at it aren't that good at it because they still have a vast amount of learning to do. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep coming to class. Keep doing the same drills over and over and over because you'll eventually, it'll click one day. It will click and when it does, you'll be like, ah, it makes sense. I get it now. Don't give up. Holly? Yeah, same. I was going to say, don't give up, um, but also just embrace the process because there's going to be a lot of times where you are not sure why you keep showing up to class because <laughs> you're either the hammer or the nail, right? And for a long time, you're just the nail. So as a white belt, you just got to be there knowing that someday you will be the hammer the right way though, like not just hurting people and smashing them because you're bigger or whatever, or you learn to move and now that's the only thing you do. Um, but yeah, don't give up. I mean, if you're passionate about being good at jujitsu, that should be the drive, even when you're not having a good time. Or I should say, you feel like you're not having a good time. <laughs> There's a lot of highs. It's those. a fun thing. Don't quit. Yeah, right. Christina? Um, I would say, well, obviously don't give up, but I think first and foremost is to find a gym that your personality meshes with. You know, it's an investment. Jiu-Jitsu is an investment. You have your hard-earned money that you're paying to be able to go and do these classes to learn from. So you want to be able to go to a professor that you feel comfortable with, um, that you know is going to go and give you his all, his full attention. You don't want to go to a class where uh, they show technique and you look over in the guys on the side on the on his phone on his mat just sitting there while you're getting like strangled and you don't know what to do right so you want somebody that actually enjoys teaching has a passion for teaching um and maybe if you're lucky enough it's a gym right down the road for me it, i was driving almost an hour one way to be able to train in the beginning um you just really need to be able to be with a community that feels like a family and then after you find that don't give up 
<laughs> well, I want to say thank you, ladies, so much for giving us your time today. This was a great conversation. I enjoyed your guys' point of view on everything. I love your guys' uh, nonprofit that you're doing. I think it's super important for a lot of people out there, and I wish you guys had more exposure. And we're able to promote what you're doing more, right? But I understand the secrecy, and it's really hard to do. If people want to find more out, uh, more about your guys' organization, where can they look you guys up at? We're on the socials, A New Grip on Facebook, on Instagram, and then our website, anewgripbjj.org, for donations and swag and merchandise patches, whatever we fancy. And then on our social media, when we're having events, um, there'll be tons of posts about that. And usually we do our tickets through Eventbrite with a quick link from there, so on Facebook and Instagram. And so we welcome likes follows and shares and messages questions all of that stuff we want to engage with the people as much as possible and thank you for having Perfect. us and that's where they'll see all those those black belt takes over and all that stuff if they want to come our outsiders are like you said are welcome to come it's just a limited spot for these uh events that you put on yes. right yep. and like none right. of anything that we do like the rollathons, the black belt takeover seminars anything that we do is open to anybody and everybody it's not gender specific. It's not belt specific. If you've never done jujitsu in your life and you're just curious and you want to support our cause, show up because one of us can work with you or just hang out with you. It's, I mean, it's, we don't ever want anybody to ever feel like they don't have what is there, that there's some sort of requirement to attend one of our functions. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again for coming on. It, it was a blast. I'm glad we finally got this done. Time flew by. I couldn't believe it's already been almost an hour and a half. I was just, <laughs> <laughs> it just so, so thank you everyone for yeah yeah right. <laughs> That's what happens when you have a great conversation. It just keeps going. <laughs> Actually, my hands are like it's. I forgot to turn the fan on in this room, and it is boiling in here right now. My computer's in the background. It's a small room. John's John's hot breathing over here. I am. I am. You know, I'm, I'm still congested. I'm like. I feel like I'm running a marathon. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for listening thank at home. You. Thank you, everyone, for watching at home. Be sure to go check out A New Grip. Go follow them on social media. Follow, donate, and all that donate, stuff. And uh, remember, no oil jacks here. Oops. All right, guys, thanks. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Thank you.